still very hot. Still very hot. Give me a sound check there. Cameron Weiss here at Weiss Watch Company. There you go. That's a good sound check. That's a branded sound check. Uh, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show, everybody. We are here. I like to describe the space a little bit. We're well. We're inside, but we're next to a Volkswagen Bug. That's what color would you call this? Sea foam green. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was like Java green or something like that was the official color. But I think it's definitely a little lighter. We're in your domain. This is your and Genevieve's here. The thirteenth month old. If you if you yeah. hear if you she's laughing because we're doing a podcast. Some baby giggles. <laughs> she's very excited. She's very excited about. Escape wheels and watch parts and all sorts of fun things. Well, you know, this, the story of Genevieve and the story of your wife, Whitney, ties very much into the story of Weiss Watch Company, which is that it's not just a family business, but it seems like it's engineered around the idea that this is something you love. Yeah. Yeah. If I couldn't bring my family into work, couldn't bring my dogs into work, couldn't have my beetle parked in the workshop, I don't know how long I'd last. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it for very long. You call it a beetle. I call it a bug. Is is there a difference? You seem to be a man who would know these subtle things. Watches are all about subtlety, right? And yeah. So you probably see the car as a reflection of that. A little bit. I mean, beetle, I guess, was the was the right, what they called it, I guess. But yeah. bug was the, the nickname, you know? I'm a nickname guy, I guess. Yeah. I did ask you today on the course whether or not you have a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, so... I mean, there's a lot of places that we can start, but uh, first of all, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to get a view of the beetle or the bug, check it out on YouTube. We're, uh, we've got a great video here of the entire podcast, and then we have a video of us going out and playing uh, nine holes of golf, which was very fun. It was your first time playing golf in a few uh, years. Yeah. <laughs> How did it go for you? How did you oh, feel? It felt about- great. I mean, I was a little rusty on, on my swing, but there was a few shots that, that make me want to start golfing again. That's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah you hit some very great good shots. feeling. You hit some very good shots. Um, I guess let's just go background. Um, I heard a little bit today from you on the course about the origins of this entire uh, life now that you lead, which is making watches by hand in Los Angeles with your name on them. Which, by the way, I noticed Weiss is basically, uh, if you look at the letters, is 80% Swiss. <laughs> Right, it, there's only yeah. one letter missing. Yeah, that's right. So it's basically. <laughs> yep. I mean, sorry about that, but you know, what you you got into this as what? What was the problem you were trying to solve, or the question you were trying to answer? Honestly, the <clears throat> the whole reason that I actually launched a watch company here in the U.S. was I started seeing these other brands pop up. Maybe uh, I, I guess it was seven or eight years ago, and they were all making products in the US, making jeans or wallets, whatever the product was, it just it struck me as interesting that they were making these things in the US. And I had never really thought about how much how much product was offshored uh, after the 90s. So that made me think, well, the person that's purchasing these products and aligning themselves with these brands and see that story as uh, an inspiration, what kind of watch are they going to wear? And I couldn't necessarily picture those people um, wearing, you know, a fancy Vacheron Constantine. Like that was the the brand that I worked for at that time. Uh, I I couldn't see them wearing a cheap quartz Timex or something like that. There wasn't enough story to that for me. So I thought it might be a good time as an American watchmaker to actually produce watches in the U S 
Oh my God. So sometimes when we're about to dive into a really good podcast, I have seven interesting things that I want to ask you about when you say <laughs> one sentence, which just happened. Um, oh man, let's talk about the most interesting thing. You just said the word story. Why is story relevant to a thing on your wrist that ultimately only tells you the time of day? I think the story is 100% of the importance behind a watch. It's obsolete. It's completely unnecessary. Everybody has a phone or you're driving in your car and you've got your, your clock radio. The time is all around us. It has nothing to do with time. It is a piece of art. It is a piece of engineering. It's something that somebody poured their life into, really. You know, they trained, uh, apprenticed, worked, learned the trade, and then spent many hours producing this thing. And it happens to tell time. That's the reason you can justify buying it. But really, the story behind it is where the value comes in. And that's what people are proud of when they put on a nice watch. It's everything that's behind that. You can feel that, all that extra that's in there with the story. I, actually, you know, uh, that made me a little emotional <laughs> because as a non-watchmaker, I am a, I am a watch enthusiast and a, and a, like a, a small collector. And, you know, it's interesting because for me, the decision to buy a watch was engineered around the story of my life, which was that I would reward myself with something that would remind me of all the time that I put into my business to be able to create an opportunity where I could, in, in that specific way, reward myself with a watch that I felt I identified with. Exactly. You, uh, you, talk, you said hours, but I think it's more like decades. When, when yeah. did you get started? You, I, you told me the story and you uh, talked about your mom and you, you said the words, you said the two words that I'm interested by from a colleague of mine who has a YouTube channel called What's Inside. Yeah. And your mom asked you with a broken watch when you were how old? Uh, I was a kid, maybe like five or six years old. And I was actually, it was my father's watch. He got in a jacuzzi. It steamed up. And it was my great aunt. We were at my, my great aunt's house. And she said, we should open this up and see what's in there. And she was just kind of fostering uh I was a very technical kid and I'd be the one that like VCR broke and I took it apart. So she brought me a screwdriver and we took this watch. We opened it up and looked at what was inside. And that was eye opening to me. I had no idea. You never really think about that. You just see the hands on a watch, the face of the watch, the dial, you know, the surface things. And it tells time to actually look inside and see that there was more to it. It definitely had an impact on me. I didn't realize it at that point. We ended up putting a a picture of my face inside that watch, and I still have the watch. I still have it. Um, it's one of my most treasured watches, and it does not tell time. It has no movement in it. It's just a picture of me, but the whole story is where the value is. That watch, I would prefer that somebody steal any of my other watches. If If they go missing, that's okay. But if that watch goes missing, I'd be very sad. May I see this watch? Yeah, I have it in the in the workshop. Let's go get it. I'll, I'll right. put a pause on here. Everybody, hang on a sec. All right, everybody. Every minute, the equivalent of one dump truck of plastic enters our oceans. That's, that's 60 dump trucks a minute. Okay. 
that's twelve. That's that's twelve hundred. For thirteen hundred and twenty. That doesn't sound right. Thousands of dump trucks every day. Plastic enters the oceans. This plastic doesn't just. Got to get my glasses on. Affect marine life. It affects. It ends up in our food as microplastics. Plastic is a problem. That's why Adidas is aiming to end plastic waste by 2024. Wow. That's a, that's incredible. You mean within their own company, not within the world. 100% of Adidas products. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Problem solved. 100% of Adidas products will be made by recycled polyester by 2024. That's rad because I use a water bottle, folks. I know that Adidas doesn't make it, but it's not. Plastic water bottles are just, they're bad. I mean, you, sometimes you got to do it, but they're bad. Adidas Golf is doing their part this week by introducing the limited edition Prime Blue Code Chaos footwear for both men and women, made in part with parley. Excuse me. I just had some pretzels and ginger beer. Okay. In part with parley ocean plastic. This recycled yarns, the recycled yarns in the footwear are made from plastic that was collected from beaches and coastal communities, preventing it from entering our oceans. From problem to performance, pick up your pair now at adidas.com. For more info about the latest products from Adidas Golf, go to adidas.com and throw Adidas Golf and follow on Instagram and Twitter. All right, I'm going to catch you now. We got let Give me a second, all right? I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically, the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on tests, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing. I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls. They've got all different types. They've got the Tour. They've got the Drive. They've got the Pro. They've got the Pro Plus. They've got different colors. And you can also personalize less than uh, – you can personalize. I don't know what number you can personalize, but you can personalize them, whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year. So check out vicegolf.com. Get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course, that is. Anyway, y'all, see you in the showers until the next ad read. Precision Pro, folks. I'm going to do an ad-libbed Precision Pro read. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's got great design. And coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got I got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope and you get laser. I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy, and you get I don't know. You just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes some good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. 
But on this planet, the random golf club rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it. All right, we are back here. Let's. I had. I see a uh, small. It's a similar color to the beetle here. Well, yeah. For, but before before we go into a watch that has a picture of you, I want to just describe to the people who are only listening to this because they are subject to their imagination, which is great. Was why we read books. Uh, Cameron, you you told me on the course this morning that you grew up in San Diego, you moved to Seattle, and now you're back here in L.A. and and you know I feel like the watch world is very full of people that are probably not like you. In some ways. Yeah. <laughs> you agree? I definitely agree. Without question. Now, uh, just to give him a, a, you have a sort of a workman's, not denim, but it's a thick cloth, uh, blue Oxford, long hair, ponytail, nice beard, <laughs> kind of like mine, short, looks like you've been working on a boat for two weeks. And it was quite a bit longer yesterday. I had to, <laughs> I had to tame the, uh, the beard. But you, you embody a person who might be making furniture in Asheville, North Carolina, or uh, working on a golf course, perhaps, in, in a remote destination. And, and so that's important, I think, for people listening to get an idea that we're not on Rodeo Drive. We are in, a, 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 what, how many square feet are we in? 3,000? Uh, not even 2,100 square feet here. 2,100. And filled with machines and uh, filled with... Uh, you know, machines of, of productivity. And this is not yeah. a showroom. This is we're we're on a, a, a well made wood table. I made this table. You did not. I did. You did not. I did. This is why I love yeah. people like you. You may, hang on, I gotta get this, a look. I gotta this look under is the, the table that will save anyone working here from the big earthquake. This one. Oh, you get under it. Oh yeah. What's the uh, footing like? Oh these are uh, these this are very old. Solid. Yeah. So this, these are old lathe um, machine legs. They are so uh, these cast, old machines like those ones. It's cast iron. Cast iron. Yeah. These things must weigh five hundred pounds each. Oh yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The legs of this thing are like uh, they actually look like a golf course logo. It looks like an H, like for Sand Hills, kind of. Yeah, I don't know what manufacturer what the the tool was that was on these lathe or on these legs, but very That's a solid. Freudian slip there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a smooth table. Uh, how did you uh, belt sand or no? Uh, this I made here. Uh, yeah, sanded and then just a, like a food safe, uh, um, like a wax coating, basically. Wax. Yeah. Wax is nice. Nice to tactile. Yeah. You don't like it. The enamel's a little bit. It's a, a little much. bit too thick. A little yeah. too thick. Yeah. And then how did you, uh, these are three by two and a half by ones, and they're all sandwiched together. Did you, did you, how did you get them to stick so well together? Uh, clamps, clamps. Yeah. Any, any, uh, any. What do you got? Clamps the, uh, and glue. Scallops. Nothing. Uh, nothing inside. Clamps. There's no bits in between the pieces. No. Wow. Just glue. How long did it take you to make the table? Um. Please say something. It really. wasn't that long. It really? was like a week. That's a long time. It's <laughs> a very long time in a world where people. Uh, order toilet paper on Amazon yeah. by itself, and then the next day order half and half on Amazon. I unfortunately am guilty of it, and I'm trying to change my ways of that sort of wasteless kind of, you know, energy there for the planet. Yeah. You built your own oh, this, table. This table is going to outlast me. Whoa. By far. So will your watches. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to look at your first watch here, which does not tell time. And again, this is a good reason to go to the YouTube channel, because we're on a table here that I just found out Cameron made, and there are a lot of other watches here. Um, some some uh, pocket watches. It looks like some. These are uh, 
Oh. Those are rally gauges Ra- for so a car. Those would have gone in a car. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And then we've got uh, a, a, some other uh, wristwatches here and a lot of tools. Anyway, let's look at this. I'm going to put my glasses on. This is great. I'm having a great time. So it's oh, an old wow. Casio. <laughs> look at that. And it hasn't been opened since. I was expecting something very different. Really? <laughs> what was inside of this watch? Uh, it was just a quartz movement. I, I don't even really remember if it was digital or analog. Um, the the insides are long gone. But it was opened up, and that picture, I cut it into a circle and put it in there. That's great. Yeah. Who knew? Right? If I, I Exactly. Who knew I'd end up being a watchmaker? And, and now this is in... An, an, an RP Gabe box, you an know, AP in a locked box. drawer in my workshop. And meanwhile, everything else is just loose floating around. What else is in there? Some This some papers? is a, another watch oh. that is very important to me. Going to put out a Royal Oak or something? <laughs> no, this is a... Oh, wow. This is my grandfather's watch. This is an heirloom here. Right? Oh, wow. With the diamond bezel, the gold wow. case, and it had this gold mesh bracelet. And I actually... I needed money to get through watchmaking school. And I was like, okay, uh, let me take the bracelet off of this. And then it's like my grandfather helping to pay for me to get through watchmaking school. So I took the bracelet off. Watch or Gold was very valuable at that time. So I was able to get quite a bit of money for just the bracelet. And I have plans on changing the lug so I could put a regular leather strap on here at this point. But honestly, it's nothing I'd ever actually wear, but... It's one of my most prized watches, along with this one with my face in it. <laughs> so this is a while? Uh, Angelus. Angelus. Yeah, it's a, an old company that disappeared. Someone bought the name, and they're restarting it now. And um, engraved on the back, it says, with love, D-I-A? B. B-I-A. Beatrice. B-I-A. So that's my, my grandmother. She got it. Got it for him. Wow. Yeah. 1974. And I mean, you could see the the style of watches was very different back then. Yeah. Uh, for a man to wear an all gold watch like this. Yeah. With with diamonds. diamond bezel. Yeah, the, it looks like a woman's watch. Yeah. I mean, right? nowadays, it's definitely. a very small watch. The idea that you sold the bracelet really makes me think of you know one of my favorite short story writers uh, from Texas, O. Henry. Yeah. I don't know. I just I love those. The the um, the uh, uh, what's the story I'm thinking of? When he, when he, uh, it's the, it's the story where he sells his watch band so that he can buy her a hairpiece and she sells her hair so that she can buy him a watch or something, something like that. <laughs> wow. It, it's, it's, it's something I'm forgetting the details, but it's yeah. a brilliant story. And then, you know, they come together and they're both like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And normally I wouldn't do something like that, but I was, I just thought it was the right thing to do. And then it, it connects the whole watch thing to me becoming a watchmaker and also I have his watch. So that was kind of important to me. I don't know. It's, it's beautiful. And again, it just really drives home the idea that, uh, you know, this is, I would, I would imagine a, a credit to your success. What, what would you accredit your success to at this point in being six years into, um, getting into a, a business that I would imagine is on the rise but not necessarily booming, or what would you say? It's on the rise, um, but yeah, not not a, a wildly booming market. Um, we're not like you know Fitbits and uh, <laughs> and smart accessories and all that that kind of category. But 
I, I would attribute the success to passion because I love what I do and there's no other way I could do it for as many hours a day that I do it. Um, there was many years where I worked seven days a week, uh, easily 12 to 15 hours a day and barely came up to, to eat, you know? So I just couldn't have done that and, and loved it if I wasn't so passionate. Again, just to be clear here, there is no one else in the uh, in the studio here other than you, your wife, and your daughter, and that's the case every day of the week. Uh, actually, right now, it's just me. My Whoa. wife works from home um, at this time, although it looks like Genevieve, uh, she enjoys the watch parts, so we might have to get her in here doing something. <laughs> um, you... Uh, um, Whitney is on is also in the family business, and she is in charge of everything but the making of the watches, as far as the business is concerned. Or pretty much marketing, sales, um, social media, everything really. If you have asked us any questions online, you've spoken with Whitney. No uh, one else. No one else really. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I, I focus on product development and watchmaking. You, um, we talked a little bit on the course today about how, uh, golf, uh, was a big part of your early life and, you know, you played a lot with your father, you said, your yeah. and, and then, and then you gave it up for work basically. Yeah, pretty much. I just, I, I couldn't find the time to, to keep up with other passion, um, like other sports and things, other hobbies, just kind of like the. The Beetle hasn't been driven in a year at this point. We'll see. I, I, I feel like all these uh, golf and skiing and all these things that I'm that I'm getting back on it. I probably got to get the Beetle out. I got to get the the surfboard out. <laughs> you lead a pretty adventurous life. I try. I I think uh, sitting at a workbench working on watches, it definitely makes me uh, hungry for like outdoor adventures. Yeah, because we talked earlier about one of your favorite things about the watch is that you can take it with you. It's a it's a thing that is uh, is mechanical and has w- working pieces inside of it. And you can take it with you. And you also talked about something interesting that I hadn't really thought of that you kind of like when the watch is concealed by the shirt. You said, you know, yeah, that, that be misquoting you, but you, but the idea that you felt better just wearing it and having that sensation on your wrist. Yeah, just I mean. With a lot of my other watches, I never wear them. I have one watch that I, I pretty much wear all the time. My other watches, like these two, just knowing that they're there and that I have them makes me feel good. Simple as that. Um, some of the other watches I, I might wear, just knowing that they're there. They don't have to be, I'm not trying to display them or anything like that. Just the thought of everything that went into it and all of the history of watchmaking hundreds of years of watchmaking. Um, whereas when you have a lesser, like a quartz watch or something like that, it's more of a, a technology statement, um, mostly for fashion and not so much about what's hidden, you know, and all the art and engineering behind it. Um, you, I didn't know you spent some time as uh, an apprentice you were working with. Did you say uh, Adam Ars Piquet or, or was it Vacheron? Uh, both. Both. Well, yeah. There you go. I, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I worked for both of them. Um, 
I was very lucky. I got a got a job with Automarp Gay right out of watchmaking school. Wait, um, let's pause there. Watchmaking school. Yeah. I mean, is it packed? There's not a lot of kids in there. Uh, there were six of us in my class. <laughs> Where? So the school that I went to is in Florida. Um, and from what I've heard, they actually don't run the full school anymore. Uh, there's just not enough people, um, which is kind of sad to see that happen. But it is a dying kind of uh, art form, I guess. But there were six of us with two master watchmakers for two years full time. Whoa. So it really, it, it's kind of a between apprenticeship um, and school. And where in Florida? Uh, it's in Miami. Okay. Yeah, right uh, in Blue Lagoon, kind of by the airport. You probably see the buildings as you land at uh, Miami, uh, was it Miami-Dade Airport? Yeah. And so how old were you when you uh, decided to go to Miami to go to school? Uh, early 20s. Okay. So yeah. had you already gone to school for something else? So I went to USC. Okay which is how I ended up back in Southern California. I, I went to USC. You seem to say that as though it would be a surprise to me. Well, I didn't finish at USC. I went there for a little while thinking a little I while, wanted... Two weeks? <laughs> a couple of years. I, I wasted a little bit of time there. Okay. <laughs> but... Uh, you decided not to fight on. Yeah, I decided to no longer fight on, and it, nothing against the school. It was just... I, I started to see my friends that were older graduate and I was in the business administration program and when they would graduate they got these jobs that just sounded horrible to me <laughs> and it, it made me sad to think that that was my future hmm. so I, I can relate yeah that it didn't interest me to to continue on that path um, so I actually started looking for a way to learn manufacturing because I realized at that point that I needed to make something I needed to actually make a product or do something with my hands where I could say, I worked all week on this or I worked all day on this. This is what I have at the end of the day, something, a table, a chair, a, a watch, a rebuilt car, something like that. Was there a moment that you can remember where you, where you saw that for the first time when you were like, oh, wow, this is a truth about myself. And being here, I am not honoring that truth. And I need to make a rather large change and essentially not, uh, abandon an investment, but definitely change things around to maybe the dismay of others. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, when I was at USC, I was buying old cars and, and kind of restoring them and reselling them. And with my, with my student loans, uh, they would give me the check for the whole year and I could cash it. And then I could use that money and slowly pay USC as the bills were due. Uh, so I had control of all this extra money. And I was basically just using that to fund this little business on the side of rebuilding cars. How did you, this is um, pre-cell phones, I'm imagining. I'm imagining. How old are you? Not pre-cell phone, but it was certainly not like smartphone days. Yeah. Yeah. But Craigslist, how were you selling the cars? Oh, a Craigslist, eBay. Craigslist. Um, and what kind of cars are we talking about? Classified ads. Like Crown Vicks, like old cop cars, or what are we talking about? Uh like Chevy Bel Airs, okay. um, Chevy Blazer, uh, what else? I had a Volkswagen bus. All, basically, the cars I wanted, oh. I would buy, um, fix them up, and then drive them for a little while and sell them. And usually, I made some money. You know, sure. I'd, I'd make a few thousand dollars here and there, um, which was wonderful. Who taught you how to work on cars? I taught myself. Really? Yeah, I, I you never bought a Chilton? Had a, never had anyone uh, in my life that 
that worked on cars that uh, no 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 but you, can, you can't just teach your without the without YouTube how are you going to teach yourself to work on a car you know I, I didn't do YouTube back then I would get the I would get the manuals okay um, you would you would go buy the Chilton yeah, you would you would I'd drop a hundred bucks usually not I, I'd find them used used I'd find the you know the guy who already rebuilt his car <laughs> um, and memorized the the whole booklet so I I'd, I'd get those what about the tools I mean we're talking ten G's. I figured out a way. I don't know how. With very basic tools, you know, the tool, the tool is great when you need to do something quick. If you have time, you can slow down and you can either make your own tool, or you can figure out a way to do it without the tool. I think you just made a meme. You know, the mind <laughs> expansion meme. <laughs> one is one is do it without a tool. One is do it with a tool, and or I can't remember. Make your own tool is the third level. Right. Wow. Now that I'm more pressed for time, I find myself buying the tools. Hmm. But back then, I didn't have the money, but I had the time. So I would figure out other ways. What's your favorite type of music? I just need to know right now. Uh, like favorite genre of music. Do you have one? Gosh, I don't know. Probably like altern alternative rock or something like that. Okay, that's Seattle. Yeah. That's Seattle. I was hoping it was going to be country. Did you ever hear that country song? Uh, you know, song? I find myself listening to more country lately. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but country has definitely got its hooks in me <laughs> there's a great song by andrew jackson about his first love and it was uh it was a car but the whole song you think it's a woman yeah and it's just a, we'll listen to it later together <laughs> it's a great song it's uh I, I can't sing it i'm not gonna do that um but then you want to sing it when you start talking about a song yeah um uh okay so so you 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 realize that through the cars and through the watching of all these things, you decide to leave USC. What what month? Where what where are you at in the semester, or do you uh, have summer break? I think I had just finished the second year. I think it was the second year, and I took the summer break and was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going back. Can't go back. I can't go back. And I so I spent some time trying to figure out um, what I, what else I could do, you know, and. I found this job that seemed perfect for me. It was actually working in a, a workshop where uh, they manufactured underwater camera equipment. Interesting. And I had always been interested in photography and art, um, and I really wanted to learn manufacturing and CNC and CAD, CAM, all this, this stuff that I really didn't understand at that point. Plus, the job ad said I would get to learn how to scuba dive and I could go <laughs> surfing uh, and use the equipment. So it was, it was just seemed like a dream job. The pay was not very good, but I learned so much. Uh, that was not only the place that I started scuba diving, which was wonderful. Uh, I still scuba dive now, uh, but I had access to a machine shop in, you know, all day working on cameras. And then in the evening I could work on watch components and just experimenting. And I had no background in watches at that point. You had so a... I had some watch tools I had purchased or made and had taken some things apart, but I really didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't gone to school yet. So uh, overall, the, uh, the experience of going to school for watchmaking in Florida for two years, wild party or pretty much nose to the grindstone? I mean, it's Miami, so there was a little bit of wild party, but... Uh, Mainly long, long hours just pushing yourself to try and learn as much as you possibly can. Because you're there and you have access to other watchmakers who have 
50 years experience, 60 years experience. So picking their brain, that's very valuable. So just trying to be there and absorbing as much as possible is the goal. I can just picture you in your early 20s in Miami. Someone comes up to you and says, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you're in school? What for? And you say, watchmaking. What did they say to you? Most people were so confused by it. <laughs> they didn't know what that what it meant. Like, <laughs> do you make watches or do you repair watches? Or like it just it's not something you don't meet watchmakers here. When I went over to Switzerland, I would meet watchmakers pretty regularly. They were everywhere. Wow. But in the US it's so rare to meet a watchmaker. So when you went to Switzerland, what was was that like Mecca? Was that Disney yeah. World? I, I had never been. Were you so, freaking? You you land in Geneva, you drive uh, thirty minutes from the airport, and you're like freaking out. Basically, yeah. With Audemars <laughs> Piguet, we landed, we drove over the mountains, up into the uh, into Le Brasseau, which is where their workshop is. Snowy mountains and tiny little town, and it's basically just watch workshops. There's the cheese shop where all the <laughs> The little cars are coming in with the the fresh milk from the cows in the fields, and they're making cheese. And then right next door, they're making Audemars Piguet watches, <laughs> and that's the whole town. It's just like a storybook, just so picture perfect. A couple little cross country skiers going through the valley, unbelievable. And to have at that point already been like, I'm dedicating my life to watches, and having never been to Switzerland to see that was, I was. Uh, blown away yeah that's the slingshot effect like yeah. you, you you were you were so ready for it that you just you just jumped in yeah you um you went there for work the first time or as a or as a uh, for work tourist yeah for work I, I had just been hired by Audemars Piguet and needed to go there for some training how do you get hired by Audemars Piguet how does that happen I was lucky there was uh were our, you lucky or were you good both I don't think you can have one without the other <laughs> Really? Yeah. I think, oh, you I think, think you've got to be lucky and good for things to really happen, you know? You think luck, do you think luck is universally um, uh, reserved for the good? Um, I Honestly, I think luck is going to happen, but if you're good, it's going to happen to you. you Whoa. Know? When, it, when it happens, you can actually strike. Right. You're ready, you know? That's an Oprah quote, I think. Um a success is um, opportunity and preparedness right? at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So at that point, um, you go through watchmaking school for two years. And at the end, you are nothing yet. You're it's literally kind just, of like, you're done with watchmaking school. That's about it. You're done with watchmaking school, but you <laughs> cannot get a job yet. Really? You have to pass your certified watchmaker's test. Without that, that extra... Um, passing that test, you're not actually a certified watchmaker. Without that, you're not going to get a job in a workshop. Uh, you're going to have to do some other kind of administrative type jobs or really basic watchmaking. Uh, basic so, watchmaking. That sounds yeah. so remedial. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, how yeah, like you, you waste. didn't want to train two years to do that, <laughs> you know, but, uh, so basically you sit for this test, which is three days long. Whoa. So it's kind of like taking the bar. You know, you go through, you've been through law school, and if you don't pass the bar, you can't actually be a lawyer. You What's know, you the... got to go push documents around for a while. But are people not passing this certified watchmaker's test? We had one that didn't pass in our class. Whoa, that's that's about he... 15%. Yeah. 
and it, it's tough. It's very tough. You have to make watch parts. You have to service watches. You have to, um, there's a written portion that has some math, uh, but also theory as far as the, the mechanics and the engineering and the history of everything. Uh, so it's, it's an intense test. It, it'll make you sweat. It'll make you worry. It'll keep you up. And, and like I said, if you don't pass it, you then have to wait until the next time you can take that test, which it could be as long as a year. Whoa. Um, lucky, lucky for the guy that, that failed. Um, it wasn't because he was bad. He just wasn't ready at that moment. Um, but there was another school in the U S that was doing that test, I think like six months later. So he was able to just work for somebody for a few months, uh, just doing basic work and then go resit, uh, and pass. But so it's you, not something you want to fail. So, so you, uh, the, the AP job, how does it come into your life? Does it, it's not on Craigslist, I'm assuming. So that test is graded by, uh, we had the person who, op- like the president of the school, the director of the, the curriculum from Switzerland came over and judged us, as well as watchmakers, uh, one from Patek Philippe and one from Audemars Piguet. So I think whoever was looking at my work from Audemars Piguet must have thought that I was good enough to, you know, warrant a a position with Audemars Piguet right away. Did you see the dude looking at your work? No. Okay, so that happens someplace else. No, it's it's secret. You know, you you go home after the test and you just wait for a phone call. What? You just wait days. Dude, it sounds like an actor in L.A. (laughs) waiting for the gig. So, yeah. so then they call, and does the guy call you, and he has a uh, Swiss, uh, French Swiss accent? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and it's just like a yes or a no. Whoa. Simple. <laughs> and then he says, "Do you want a job?" Uh, no. So that was different. I, I passed that, um, and at that point, I was able to go start visiting workshops that, you know, were interested. Whoa. Yeah. So you went to Switzerland without having a job? No, no. They hired me, and then sent me to Switzerland. Wow. Yeah. But it was all very quick, uh, within like, gosh, within a couple of weeks. How long? So you, but you, where did you live when you worked for AP? Uh, I lived in Miami. They hired me. Uh, I went to, so I worked in New York for them. Okay. That was where I was based out of. Doing what? Watch repair. Repair. So not actually making watches. Which is a funny thing. In in Switzerland, the workshops where they make the watches are typically the less qualified watchmakers. Strange. The workshops where you repair watches. Well, that would actually make sense. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean... So in assembly, you have perfect parts. Everything yeah. is good. It's yeah, past it's... quality control. You simply have to place it. Is it, like, it. Is it like clockwork? All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is very, it, very similar. It's it's an assembly line that it's obviously very complex, but finding the problem with a watch could be very hard. Yeah, exactly. And verifying whether or not the watch was mistreated or something. Or yeah, I like the to to use an analogy. Like if you if you're thinking about a mechanic that can go into a car and troubleshoot every part of the vehicle, they have to know a lot more than the person who simply bolts the rims on the car at the factory. Yeah. All that person has to know is set the torque wrench to this torque, place the you know, place your nut here, and that's it. Yeah, you have an overall understanding of the yeah. working components as yeah. they as they coincide together. 
Now, when it does change is when you start getting up to the very complex watches where you have one watchmaker that puts the whole watch together. Uh, and those would be minute repeaters like we were talking about out on the course uh, where you have these complications and potentially a thousand pieces that go into the watch. And you'll have one watchmaker that is making that entire watch start to finish. That's the the very top of watchmaking right there. And if that watch needs repair, it'll go back to that same guy. Bill. Yep. It goes back to Bill. <laughs> Jeez. Bill's, Bill's a baby. Hope he's not taking uh, maternity leave anytime soon. <laughs> um, a lot of them are, are getting old, though. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, everybody. Uh, stand by, and we'll be right back with more on... We're not even talking watches. We're, what are we even talking about right here? We're talking about... We're talking about the inside. Yeah. We're, this is deep. Yeah. Very deep. All right. We'll be right back, everybody. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones, if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the 70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some. What's that? Taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song, Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space and you got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out. It's, it's, you know, that's the studio here says, get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it. You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Club, everybody. Love them. Taylor made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were Taylor made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself. At risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because there's an, I don't know if you've ever regripped your clubs, but you 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 become an an inhalant addict because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I, I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I saved. How much did you say? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping 14 clubs, I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition now, obviously the Sim Max I'm playing, is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have an eye in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really I kind of love the wedges. The raw-faced wedges, MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway... TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. 
the the band of the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do. And that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't just just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even they don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be what? What I play? I play the okay, Studio is asking me to play I pay the P760s four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face 50, 54 and 58 and then I rock. I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh I've got a steel shafted 6.5 Project X in that one as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a nine degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the ten and a half and the nine. We're gonna, gonna do a little experimentation. Maybe honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're gonna manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the driver that I can't hit. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out, and now check out this podcast. All right, we are back, everybody. Um, I don't even know where to go. I mean, I'm in like uh, a Rubik's Cube of possible conversational elements here. Um, should we just go to the watches that, that you have here on the table? Yeah. What's yeah, your favorite? In. I mean, aside uh, from the ones you've already shown me. Honestly, so my favorite is this white dial version of the field watch. Again, this is the watch that you designed, you made by hand in this room. Yeah. It's super it, simple. Just like, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I like simple things, simple, classic kind of things. Uh, so that's really why that watch ended up like that. Really legible. It it looks like a watch where you're like, looks modern, but it also has all these design elements from older watches. Um, uh, Micah, come on around here and get a get a shot of the watch from this angle. It, again, if you're listening, you got to get a view of this watch. It is stunning. Number one, you 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 said that you like simple things. I would. I would agree that this looks simple, but when I turn it around and I get an opportunity to look at the, um, is there another term for exhibition back that's a little less pretentious? Um, display back. Display back is more my yeah. vibe. Yeah. The display back reveals it. It looks relatively simple, but this is not simple at all. N- no mechanical watch would you argue is actually simple. Yeah. In fact, the definition of uh, the the, the the scale of watches only increases based on their literally the word is complications, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> and it goes from, I mean, what I would consider a simple watch as a watchmaker, it still starts at around like 120 pieces. You still have a, 120 parts inside of a basic watch that is mechanical. And in our 42 millimeter field watch here, how many is there moving parts here? It's about 150 parts that go into that watch. 150. Yeah. It's the size of a silver dollar. Yeah. It's a nice size. Yeah. A lot of, uh, it's, it's cool because it has that kind of vintage look, obviously, which you're 
again, the, the, the strap here is close to the color of the beetle. Yeah. This, this green is a recurring feature. Do you have a lot I like of green a lot. Do you have shirts this color? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised the van isn't green. Right. I wish. <laughs> um, and you have the uh, this beautiful, again, tell me the name of the uh, the second, what's it called? The uh, So the, it's a sub-second hand. Sub-second hand. Yeah. Which means that it is, why not put a second hand on the main dial? So it actually makes it more complicated. To have it on the main dial. To have it on the, the main, there's, you have one pinion that runs all the way through the center of the dial. Hang on. I just need to freak <laughs> out because I don't learn new words often, but I've never heard the word pinion before. <laughs> So the Ra- pinion, no rack and pinion steering I have. Yeah, yes. there you okay, go. So go. the pinion is, it's basically a small gear, and it has a low tooth count. So I also have a, gear a low and a pinion tooth right count. there. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so there's this one pinion, and it's basically an axle with a gear on one side that okay. goes all the way through from the back side of the watch all the way up to the front, and you put the hands on that pinion. Is that kind of where the watch starts? Um, no. That is right in the middle. In the middle? Yeah. There's power on one side, there's escapement on the other, and it all kind of runs together to keep it running. It's it, That gets more into the whole theory side of everything. Um, because you, So you've got a mainspring, a gear train, and an escapement. The gear train is where that pinion is, right in the middle of the, your, the mainspring, which I actually have one right here. This is not from this watch. So this is like a little puny mainspring Whoa. from an automatic watch. It looks if you're if you're listening again, I'm going to describe this to you. It looks like a like a clef, yeah, like a, like a musical note. Yeah, yeah. That's whoa. It's quite light. Yeah. So that one is from a a Breitling actually. That's from a, a friend's Breitling that I fixed for him as and, a favor. Yeah, as a favor. Whoa. So that that's actually a um very different than the mainspring that's in this watch. The mainspring that's in this watch is much bigger, heavier duty, more power. And that's um, why when you wind this watch, it feels... Yeah, you'll feel it. You feel winding up that spring is what you're doing. And this is much looser. Yeah. Is this the broken one or the soon-to-be... Uh, that's the old one. The old one. Yeah. And so you had to call Breitling and say, I need this? Uh, or you made it? I feel like I, I didn't it. make it. No, <laughs> no. Those are a special, uh, a special alloy so that they don't break because they're constantly being wound and unwound and wound and unwound. A special um, alloy. Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, it's called white alloy, and basically, every different company that makes mainsprings has their own mix for it, and they patent their own mix for the alloy. So typically, with springs, you're going to go to that manufacturer and order a mainspring from them. Right. You're going to tell them there's a few different characteristics that you're going to ask for. Um, like the center, how it connects to the arbor. You're going to tell them how it terminates at the end. Like there, that has this little part that's kind of hanging off. Yeah, that's glued on or something? Uh, it's uh, laser welded on there. Um, <laughs> Nothing is simple about this. Yeah. And, you know, I think of that as a simple part, but it really is not. It's just a completely different type of manufacturing and watchmakers typically won't make those springs. However, we can. Okay, so listen, I'm sure that Whitney doesn't want to hear this all the time, right? Is she just like, all right, enough about the insides. I just want to post a photo of a beautiful watch. Yeah, yeah. Do you have buddies that like know about this? Do you have like do you have like a watch group on Reddit or Facebook that you can be like, yeah, the mainspring and da 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 and white alloy and 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There are there are some guys that I can that I can definitely talk about all the the crazy little details with. Because you probably frequently wind up in wind. I mean, there's so <laughs> many watchwords. You probably frequently end up in these situations where you're talking to someone like me who's fascinated by it. Yeah. But ultimately, you're just gonna run circles around them with new words like escapement and pinion and things like that. And it's probably relatively boring for you. I mean, it's not boring. I don't I don't get the sense that you're bored right now at all. I just mean like. It, it, you want to talk to someone who knows their stuff. I always look at it as like a challenge kind of when I'm talking to somebody about watches, I try and change the way I explain things almost every time just to see. And I kind of like watch people's eyes and see like, do they go dead or do they light up? Okay. Now and then I, I just kind of change the way I explain the insides of the watch based on whether their eyes lit up. I'm like, Oh, that was a good way to say something. And I just try and navigate that way. You, took your SATs? Uh, I did. What did you get on them? Uh, I did I did surprisingly well on the math, uh, a near-perfect score on math. And I did quite well on English, too. What's the number, dude? Um, I think it was out of 800 when I did it. And it was like, I think I got a 780 on math <laughs> and like a 700 on the, the English written or whatever it was. Okay, so out of 1,600, you got 1,480. Yeah. My remedial math can tell me that. <laughs> That's impressive. You know, you I can already, you know, when you were just, the thing that made me think about it is that the idea that you would choose to explain things to other people <laughs> in a different fashion, why? Why would you do that? I, I'm, I'm like a, I guess I'm a people pleaser. So I really don't want to see someone like the lights go out when hmm. I'm having a conversation with them. So I'd prefer to just change the way I explain it, I guess. Hey, what have a, you what have you found in the in the different ways of explaining things? Uh one thing that always makes people it, it just always works is I just simply show them the watch, I turn it over, and sometimes I'll notice that certain people won't get it. Like they still don't get excited when they see the back of the watch, even though you can see the movement and everything that's happening in there, the escapement going back and forth. And I realized that all I have to say is there's no battery in there. <laughs> and I learned that because I showed a watch to someone and they asked, oh, but where do you put the battery? Where Ooh, does the battery go? That's a burn kind of. And so at that point I realized like I could show somebody this, but they still don't get it. They still think that it's a quartz watch and that this is just display. Like it's not functional um, until I say there's no battery. And then the eyes lit up. And so I realized that you still have to explain these things. No battery. It's completely powered by springs. You wind it up and it runs and it keeps time near perfect time. So good that you don't need another timekeeping device. It's like, it is, it's not like an old car where it doesn't run that well. You probably should also have a new car. You know, <laughs> these watches are that reliable. It's unbelievable. Is there uh, some type of, you know, when you go to a restaurant in California, they get a grade based on how likely you are to get food poisoning there. <laughs> what is there, is there a similar accreditation for uh, precision in, in uh, watchmaking? There is. So it's called a chronometer. Well, so chronometer no, I mean, grade. No. Oh, oh the, a chron you're not talking about the style of watch. Um, no, you're, no, not the style of watch. It's literally no. a whole different thing. Yeah, whole different thing. Okay. Um, you can submit your watch for an outside agency to certify it a chronometer, which is what Rolex does with all their watches. 
I see. So when you see COSC on the dial of your Rolex, it comes with a little certificate, and that watch was actually tested by an outside agency um, just to prove that they achieved chronometer status. Uh, there's some other tests as well. That actual watch or that model of watch? That exact watch. That physical watch that you're holding yeah. got COSC. Yeah. Whoa. Which means it was made to a very high standard. Um, the one thing a lot of people don't get with COSC is that it is at a moment in time. Ah. You know, that watch was very accurate, which means that it was made very well and it was designed very well because it could achieve this near perfect accuracy. But when you got it and it was shipped in a UPS box and it got really hot in the UPS truck and the oils kind of deteriorated a little bit and then you whacked it on a few door frames, it's not still COSC. Like Whoa. it was only COSC at that moment when it was being tested. It just means that the watchmaker paid enough attention to get that certificate, but it does not mean that it is permanently COSC. So when you, how important is that to you when you're making your watches? To me, it's not important at all. Interesting. Yeah. So that particular agency is a Swiss agency. So I, I don't think that it's, a selling point at all for me to send my watches over to Switzerland to have them tested and then get them back here to have a COSC certification. And thus increasing the price by yeah. probably, you probably have to pay per watch yeah. from not cheap. Yeah. So I still make the things I make to extremely high standards and timing wise, they're very close to COSC almost all the time. Uh, but we're not like sending it out to an outside party to get certification. How do you test the accuracy of each piece when it's finished here. So we have a few machines that do that. One of them is on my workbench and it is right here. Um, oh, different workbench right in, in the, the clean room workshop. All right. We're going to go into the clean room in a minute. It sounds like we're going to be in an episode of breaking bad. <laughs> yeah. What is in there? So that particular machine is what I use when I'm actually manipulating the watch. So when I have the case back open and I'm working on it, getting the timing correct, it, when you when you say manipulating the watch, I all of a sudden feel like there's some <laughs> urgency, some stress there. Like like when you open up the watch, is it like the heart is beating and you need to keep this thing alive, or is um, you could probably make some critical errors when yeah. you open up the watch and break it. Yeah, when a watch is open, it's exposed. It is like open heart surgery. You you don't want stuff to be laying open for very long. You don't want projects sitting there for too long. Um, too long meaning meaning like if you leave a project for. Uh, a number of days or weeks even just having these parts out and exposed could lead to damage. Br briefly, we talked a little bit about the airflow in this building, which is a consideration for you. You called it high, you call it positive pressure. what did you call it? Yeah. So positive airflow or positive pressure in our clean room, uh, actually pushes air out of that room. So all the time air is flowing out of that room, uh, which keeps any dust from out here. Um, where we're talking and where guests come in and also our machine shop is right back here. So any dust that's created out here will n never make it into that workshop. Which is crucial. And, and, uh, you, uh, yeah, because otherwise it would just be going through there and yeah. getting into the watch. Yeah. Or if you had a vent in there that was taking up more air than out here, you would actually be sucking this dusty, dirty air from out in the workshop area with the CNC machines and where we're sanding and laser cutting and laser marking, 
that air would actually be pulled under the door into our clean room, and that would not be a good thing. So did you have to change the like HVAC in here to manage that? or No, but we selected that room because of that for the clean room. I could have taken one of these other rooms and uh, taken the wall down in there to make it a little larger or change things around, but yeah. that room in particular did has you ever the, see, the perfect airflow. Did you ever see uh, Spaceballs? Uh, not in a long time. <laughs> remember, remember when he was like, we're going to move from suck to blow? Anyway, all right, whatever. <laughs> Great movie. Um, okay, so uh, best compliment you've ever received on your craftsmanship with, with Weiss watches from like someone important? Um, I mean, craftsmanship? Or, or just, just overall, you know, overall? nothing specific. Just, just the thing that really made you feel like, wow, I've yeah. actually done what I set out to do years and years ago. Recently, I had a client sent me um, sent me a really nice note. He had just gotten married, and he had been looking at one of our watches for a long time, and he got one for his wedding. Bride gave him a, a, a Blue Dial limited edition watch. Um, and so we got pictures of him wearing the watch on the wedding day and a super nice note. That was just amazing to get something like that so personal and wonderful to see that people actually do care about all this that goes on behind the scenes because we never really know you know i focus on all of this behind the scenes but there's still a lot of people out there that just look at a watch and they see the face of the watch the dial of the watch that's that's all they see and they don't think about everything else behind it so to, to hear uh how important it is to other people when they write notes to us and, and send like we have customers that send us uh, uh, Christmas cards of their family, you know, it's wonderful. Well, they must think of you all the time. Right. And, and you <laughs> they don't, should. you don't realize you don't, <laughs> there's no way for you to really realize the uh, asunder, yeah. right? The way all the stories intertwine intertwine. Yeah. You know, it's reminding me of, um, <clears throat> We put out a thing on social media recently that said, favorite par three, tell me. And, you know, there's a lot of answers, whatever, you know, you could think of them. And the seventh at Pebble was obviously mentioned several times. And someone wrote uh, the third at Pebble. Um, I'm sorry, the third or the fourth? Um, six. Maybe it's even the fifth. I don't know. Anyway, they mentioned not the seventh hole at Pebble. Yeah. And it was the it's the first par three in the course. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth. Yeah, one two three four it's five i don't know maybe, maybe he said three anyway it was five and i read it at first and i was like that's ah, a kind of a sleeper hole you know it's yeah. not that interesting i don't know have you played pebble i have not okay well whatever it's 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 a it's not the best hole in the property yeah. i think most people would agree including it's against uh, against the grain yeah <laughs> and then the the tweet went on to say and that's because and that's and the reason why is because that's where my best friend became my wife there you go. And it's like, you know, to go back and think about most of us are going to see it as a golf course and we're going to look at it as a whole with the slope and the grain yeah. and the wind and what score we made and, you know, who was in our group and whether it was raining or so many things that are, you know, fine. You can think about whatever you want all time. For every day, you can think about whatever you want. And so it's really interesting that, you know, most of, I mean, here, you're talking about stories. I'm sitting here telling a story with you. And right. it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm about to have a flashback because <laughs> it's really interesting that, you know, 
you're totally right. I mean, in the same way that you're telling me that watches are really only relevant because of the story, I would agree without even knowing it or having really had that thought prior. And perhaps that's the reason why I love golf so much is because it's an open canvas. You can do whatever you want with it. So I digress. (laughs) Um, Let's look over here. These, uh, these, um, I walked in and there was one watch that I looked at first and it was this, um, I'm going to try to guess at the diameter here. This 36? No, 38. 38. Close. I, it looked bigger than a 36, but I didn't <laughs> want to guess 38. This is, uh, this is your limited edition blue dial 38. And this is. No, that's a uh, standard issue. Standard issue. Standard issue 38. The other one you're talking about is right next to it. But that one, so this 38. Let's do that one first. This 38 is our standard issue blue dial. Is this, what's the most popular? Most popular? Um, I mean, right now it's going to be the limited edition. Right, right. But most popular, I think, is the this white dial, the one that I wear regularly. Yeah, the white dial field watch. Yeah, white dial field watch, 42. I think it's just the perfect size. The... Um, the first watch I ever bought was actually very similar to this. Hamilton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was one of these things that was like, I almost wasn't sure if I would even like watches. And so I bought that because it was kind of like, okay, I just don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, and then we went on from there. Anyway, but this this one really stuck out to me. This This seems just so... I think I also like the leather, but the classicness of it. And I, I really like the uh, position on this of the sub-second hand. Right. Very classic different sub-second at six instead of uh, over at nine on the, the bigger one. But this is this this looks a lot like the uh, uh, some of the really classic Swiss watches that with the with it down low. Yeah. Was that why did you move it over here on the uh, the nine o'clock position for the field watch? So this one is actually based on a historic movement okay so i don't know if these pocket watches over here have it nothing on the left there nothing on the sub dial no well they're no, all, at they're, six right they're all at six yeah we're looking so, at stop, pocket watches here the pocket watch over there pocket has watches it at, in bell jars mind yeah you. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing so the pocket watch typically had the that second hand down at six o'clock okay so what happened was when they first started making wristwatches they did not move that second hand. They simply turned the movement. Oh. So if you take that and you turn it, you see how the crown is up at 12 on that? Right. So you're actually just shifting the dial, the numbers on the dial. I see. Right. Okay, you're just changing and turning the where movement sideways. Is. Exactly. So without actually machining and changing the your parts and everything, you could take an already reliable base movement Right. and then transfer that to wrist wristwatches which is what i wanted to do here is use that kind of historical pocket watch uh look and design and bring that into a, a modern watch i'm i'm hearing the fridge can you uh, unplug the water cooler please um so and then this is oh it's quite light this limited edition uh, yeah the blue dial this is quite nice that's the ultralight. Um, it is. So it is quite light. Yeah. That was the whole design was to take this 42 millimeter. Uh, and actually we made the case out of titanium. So grade five titanium on the case, uh, which is typically 316 stainless steel. 
Uh, and then on the movement itself, which historically a watch movement will be made of brass okay, uh, or a German silver, uh, usually like a heavy, soft metal. Those ones are made of a special aluminum. An which aluminum, is, Which is more brittle? Which is a little bit more brittle, uh, but this is actually a high-strength aluminum. So this high-strength aluminum you'll see in uh, like airplane wings. And I the reason I chose these materials is because if you walk to the end of our street, you can actually see SpaceX. You can see the, uh, the rocket sticking up at SpaceX. <laughs> and some of the other machine shops that we work with, uh, when, we can't, when we don't have the capacity to machine a part here, we have other workshops either uh, in the Valley or in Orange County that we can work with, and they'll machine the parts on their machines to our drawing specifications. And they're making parts for uh, Boeing and Lockheed, and they're doing all of these like weird, you know, wings for missiles and all kinds of drones and uh, these amazing parts. And I kind of I feel like if we were somewhere else, we might not have access to these amazing machinists that can make watch parts. You know, someone who knows enough about manufacturing that they can make something they've never made before. They could just see it on a drawing and make it. Um, so I, I, I wanted to kind of pay respect to the aerospace, uh, aerospace engineering industry that's here. And it's actually the, the capital of aerospace for the world is El Segundo, <laughs> which is right around here. I never would have. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would have guessed like Cape Canaveral or something, but I guess that's just the launch pad. Yeah. Um, so two super lightweight materials to combined to make that watch so light. Yeah. I mean, it's really, you can feel it immediately when you pick it up. It's like, whoa. Yeah, it's like uh, 80, 85 grams, I think, for our stainless steel version with the standard brass movement. Mm-hmm. And then this one is, I think it's 50. Okay, wow. 50 grams. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, when, when we... Um, did you we, we did this interview with Ben Clymer on the uh, on the podcast? Yeah, a couple months ago, and you know he brought up something interesting, which was the idea that uh, perhaps the influencer was engineered by Rolex, and I was kind of thinking about that, and I've been thinking about that in the world of story, in the world of um, you know purpose. And, you know, I just kind of thought about, you know, your world on Instagram and from what I've seen and is, is incredibly just real. And I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's not like, you know, here you are living this incredible life and you're going on all these adventures and, you know, but it's not, but it's not ever like, it just never felt like you were shoving it down anybody's throat or trying to make it prettier than it was, or really it just felt like this is just the truest, uh, diary, you know, entry. Yeah. And I, and I had a feeling like you, you, you have a theory behind that. I have a feeling like there's some principle that you're thinking about. And I'm curious to know if that's true or maybe it's just, Hey, whatever. I think that authenticity is extremely important and it gets more important every year 
every day actually how fast with how fast technology is moving and the world is changing i think authenticity is probably the most important thing uh and for me like why have an instagram or any kind of social media presence if it doesn't actually bring myself and the business closer to the person that's interested in watches or uh you know my personal life or anything like that you know if it if it doesn't actually bring you closer then what's the point you know so i don't want necessarily to show people all these polished images or you know try to make them perceive something that isn't reality you know so we try and keep the all of our social media pretty pretty authentic i guess would be the the right word did that come from where did that sort of decision come from? Was it, was it like, was well, it like easy to make that decision or was it like you learned? It started at the very beginning when I actually did the social media <laughs> <laughs> and you know, there was no other option, but to be authentic, like I, I didn't have the time to do, you know, special photography or, or have someone, you know, cruising around my apartment, taking photos of me working <laughs> or, you know, getting all the right lighting and everything. So it was just me posting stuff that I thought was interesting as a watchmaker. And again, just like with the conversation, I would see what people liked to see, you know, just based on feedback and likes and comments and dialogue questions, DMs, whatever. And I'd try and give them more of what they wanted, you know, the inside look at at watches or um, whatever it might be that they're interested in. And it, you know, it morphed from there, but eventually my wife took over and we just kind of retained that same, uh, same brand language and identity where, you know, we take real pictures in the workshop and we take pictures on our road trip or like if I'm at a brewery and I take a, take a picture there or at some, at a friend's workshop where they make something totally different, we'll take pictures of, you know, what they're making. And it just, it feels right for, for myself and the brand. You know, it's interesting as, as, you know, a lot, one of the things that you might, I don't know if you, well, you have your own podcast, so you probably do know this, but, uh, one of the hardest parts about doing a podcast is you have to listen to someone while also think about what the, what not, not it's, it's not that brutal, uh, quote where it's like, talk to someone who's just listening, not thinking about what they're going to say next. It's, it's yeah. the, that's not, I hope I don't fall into that category, but you obviously have to listen to have an interesting conversation. But I did think about, um, while you were just talking, um, about, you know, my life and how it fits into what you're just saying. And for a second I was like, wait a minute, like this is my life. Like I do spend my time with a crew and with a camera, always looking for the best photo. And there are a lot of photos of me playing golf that are real. And I was in the middle of a hole and it was totally authentic. But there are a lot of photos where someone said, go stand over here. I can get a good photo of you playing golf. Yeah. And so that is an inauthentic photo if I'm trying to say, hey, every photo is me just playing golf. A lot and of those photos, though, people really like that. I've been yeah. told by the audience that that's what they want. Yeah. And so there is that aspect to it that's like, I'm really just purporting a dream. But yeah. but then, and and for a second, I sort of judged myself for a second. And I, and I reflected on our round today and how I said, yeah, I just hit another. Hang on. Wait till the camera's ready. And, and honestly, while we were there, I could sense that it was inauthentic, not that it was bad, but it just struck me 
And I hadn't had that feeling before. And it's probably because you're a truly authentic individual and I'm vibing off of what you're vibing <laughs> off of. And you're probably like, this is fucking weird. Maybe, maybe not. I don't care. But the point is, I thought about it. And just now I realized that that's actually all fine because that's my only creation. Yeah. You are making things to put on your wrist or, or you know, the thing to put in the world and a material object. Exactly. My material object is merely a photo and a thought. And that's all I get. Yeah. And so I know that because of who I am, that there is authenticity there. But in order to create that authentic world, I have to sort of do things that aren't real. And, yeah. And I'm realizing that perhaps I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what your thoughts were, because I'm sure the people listening don't really know that. They don't really know the nuts and bolts or the springs and gears of what it's actually like to live this life, right? My life. Because someone came in to work with us and they worked with us for a week and then he said, you know, I thought I was going to be playing a lot more golf. And I was like, what? We don't play <laughs> golf. We get up at 4.30 in the morning and we get to this course and we drone it for an hour and then we go play as many holes as we can then we have to go eat and then we have to go do it again. Yeah. And it sort of, and I'm curious to know, first I want to know about your experience of playing golf with me this morning and what your truest thoughts were. And then second of all, I'm curious to know if there's any part of watchmaking that becomes a grind. Oh, so yeah. but first do the golf thing. What was it like this morning playing golf? Uh, I thought it was quite fun, actually. I I think that having like the crew there and trying to document it and have the conversation, you know, that changes it a little bit. It changes the focus. It's not so much competition. And I was used to a much more competitive feeling when I had golfed in the past. Uh, just trying to get the best shot, trying to get the best score, trying to get the best placement, you know, or like people are rushing you. Just, it wasn't, it wasn't a golf that I loved. And that's probably why I kind of slowly fell out of it. Interesting. And this was really nice to focus more on like the people and the conversation and the act of just walking around a course is nice. And you also take a moment to look around and think like we're on a on a bluff above the Pacific Ocean at a beautiful golf course like why just look down at your ball and the hole and try and get it there as quickly as possible why not take in the whole experience and i think sometimes having cameras around help you know cuz you start to actually look around and and see like this is gorgeous yeah behind this hole is just blue ocean <laughs> yeah i must look at this yeah, I must focus on something other than uh, the you know direction of this ball and how many times I hit it this time. Yeah, That's so I, I think it changes the the whole aspect of the the game and and everything really. Um, what part of making the watch just grinds you down? Are you just like not again? I love product design. I love prototyping. I love the first of everything. That's really where my passion lies. <laughs> the idea stage. Yeah. Yeah. And finishing up an idea. Um, my wife will say different um, because there, I have a lot of projects at home that are unfinished. <laughs> so <laughs> she she won't think that I like finishing projects. What, but what to, are you, are you talking like a patio or like a skylight? Oh, all kinds of things. <laughs> I, the list goes on from like home improvements and plumbing and electrical and decks and 
rebuilding cars and (laughs) the camper vans still not totally finished. There's so many project projects I have taken on, um, that are in like a 95% finish stage. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. But, uh, I really like coming up with new things and prototyping that to me is very fun, hands-on work and it's really rewarding. I get the, the biggest reward when that first one is done and it works and it's just how I want it. Perfect. Beautiful. Um, after that, it starts to become a little monotonous for me. Um, and then of course I dropped out of business school. I don't love the whole business side. I have to run a business. I have to do accounting. I have to do, uh, taxes. I have to do all kinds of things. I don't want to do all of the equipment. You know, we have to deal with banks. We have to deal with leases and landlords. Um, and then of course there's a lot of other, you know, public events and, and things like that. PR and interviews and phone calls. A lot of other things happen besides me just coming in here and getting to sit down and work at my workbench. Um, so I have to be careful to, to make sure I balance all of that out. Otherwise I could very easily not make it into the workbench and do a whole bunch of other things I'm not that passionate about. And I don't know how long the business would, would last if I couldn't actually be at the workbench making watches. Did you think that would happen? Did, did you, did you, um, did you know that by starting your own business that you would run into that? Or was that kind of like, Oh, like the dream is a little bit different. Well, yeah, the dream is always that, you know, there's plenty of money and you can hire the CPA and you can hire the, you know, the people to do this, the hire the PR person, hire everyone. And well, but at the end of the day, how are you going to grow the business if you've, if you're hiring all of this outside work? So sometimes we, you know, as the business owner, I'll make sacrifices and it's like, I want, you know, this, this new inspection microscope so that I can make this part better. And that's passion for me. I'm passionate about that. So, okay, I'll do the accounting for a little bit longer so that we can buy this tool because that's fun for me. So you kind of take the good with the bad and, and make it work bootstrapping. Yep. All right. I'm ready to change my watch. All right. I have, I have, uh, I have, there's, you know, there's two boxes here actually. And, and when I saw these boxes upon walking in, I didn't know it was inside them. It didn't occur to me that they were holding watches because I've never seen a box with a watch. I've never seen a watch come inside of a box like this. Yeah. So let me take a minute and describe this box. This has a gift inside of it for me. I'm assuming is this, Uh okay. Just making sure I'm not claiming (laughs) material. That's not mine. This is a, uh, don't tell me, um, Oak. That's right. Ooh, very pleased. Yeah. (laughs) Evans, Evans, very pleased. You're kind of good work. Thank you. It's, uh, and this, don't tell me, but this is, um, this is pine. This is maple. Maple. Yeah. Ah, much better than pine. (laughs) Good choice. Um, this is a little Oak box here. I'm assuming this is, um, made by you. I'm assuming. No, I don't have the time to. For a second, I was like, don't put him on the spot. Don't put him on the spot. I I keep telling uh, Whitney, my wife, that we need to open a woodworking shop as well and start making the boxes. So I'd like to have a side business that that makes wood products as well. A subsidiary. (laughs) Yeah, when I have time. So this (laughs) is a beautiful uh, box that slides open, kind of like a big box of matches. Or what's it inspired by? Um. Honestly, I wanted the watches to lay out flat 
Mm. That was really the goal. I didn't want to have them like wrapped around a pillow or anything like that. <laughs> and I wanted to be able to make our packaging in the U.S. Uh. Um, and I like this shape of a box because you could put other things in it. You know, you, you can take the foam out and get rid of it and put pens in there or little oh. trinkets or things. And if it's in a drawer, but I really just wanted to make like a nice wood box to lay the watch out flat. Let's talk about it's it's a beautiful box, and um, let's talk about the logo before we go too much further. Um, again, if you're listening, I apologize. This is not really going to make much sense to you, but um, where what did you, where did you come up with it? I mean, the eye is obviously the hands yeah. of the watch, and the uh, the uh, the letters are very kind of I don't even know how to describe these, but it's but it's a beautiful logo. So picture an airplane from above. Amazing. Looking down on the wings. Amazing. And it, that's kind of a, a little nod to aerospace. It does have that quality. Yeah. Um, that's really beautiful. I when love that. When we first started, uh, I worked very closely with a machine shop in the Valley, and I still work with them today. Uh, so our relationship's over six years now. And they focus on aerospace parts. So not having met them we would not be the same business we are today. We might not have made it. I need, I was working out of my apartment. I had a, a watchmaking bench and a polishing machine in a walk-in closet underneath a staircase in an wow. apartment. Wow. So we could not machine these parts and I needed a partner to do the machining. Uh, and we found them, they were on board. You so, said, you said, Hey, I'm going to start a little company and we're going to make watches. And he was yeah. like, yeah, okay, let's do yeah. this. Yeah, it's a beautiful logo, and it, it, you know, um, it, it the logo looks to me like I just I just feel like when I you know this sounds kind of dumb, but when I look at it, I'm like that's cool. You know what I mean? Like it sort of speaks to like this. It it looks kind of like I'm it, I'm recognizing something in it that reminds me of a camping logo. Am I crazy? No, it, it, I I wanted it to kind of be something that uh, that you might have seen on one of those uh signs that sticks out from the wall you know in a yeah in a town somewhere back yeah. in the back in the 20s 30s you know just i didn't want it to look like a super modern uh logo or anything like that i wanted it to have some kind of timeless uh aesthetic to it and then of course aerospace and also the hands we're about to get a peek here all right and then we've got this um that's nice. Oh, and it's a hand, you've got a handwritten official identification card here. Yes, because I cool. do assemble every single watch. <laughs> wow, and it's signed. Yeah. So this is the standard issue field watch latte. Yes. And this is uh, number 0428, designed, engineered, and manufactured in Los Angeles, California. Oh, wow, this is 11120. This is recent. Merely uh, a few days ago. A few days ago. Okay, we're it's fresh. Pulling the foam out here. This is wow. That is stunning. Look at that. So this is the field watch here, with um, with a sort of cream dial. What we call a latte. I mean, yeah. it is a latte. Yeah. yeah. That's stunning. This uh, the leather is a strap. Yeah. So when I came up with that dial color. I was testing a whole bunch of different dial colors, but I, I really liked like a 
a creamy looking dial. Um, and I, I came up with that one and I had noticed that we had a lot of, um, a lot of people that either owned coffee, coffee shops, uh, or coffee roasting companies that were purchasing our watches or fans of the brand. And I talked to some of them about it and it just, I guess it made sense to them. Uh, because if you think about the amount of energy that they put into a bean that <laughs> is then turned into this like brown water that people drink every day. That doesn't really and, taste good when you first try it. Right. It's like you have to learn to love it, but they have dedicated so much of their life to making the best coffee and making it not bitter and just wonderful coffee. And it's a slow process as well. Not only growing the coffee, but then actually getting the coffee here and roasting it the right way and then making it the right way. There's so many steps where you could just destroy it and make it taste like crap. Very easily. Um, so that's why I decided that the name for it had to be latte. I like that. Yeah. And then we have another example here. This is same box. I do love this box. This has a great texture to it. Okay. I'm having a hard time not peeking. This is, this is box. This is unboxing therapy. <laughs> Ooh, and this one is olive. Um, it's not. Is it a NATO strap or is it? Not NATO. So not... NATO means that it's a one-piece strap. Ah, so right. this over here. We'll get into the sub. In a second. On that watch over I there, that's a NATO that. strap. And this is a black dial field watch. That's really beautiful. That's actually the watch we started with. We sold really? one watch at the beginning. It's Green very canvas classic. strap, black dial, white numerals. First watch, we sold that for, I think it was six months before we introduced a white. And it was like groundbreaking to have a second color. <laughs> <laughs> but all you were doing is really changing the dial. I mean, not yeah. mechanically. Yeah, mechanically the same, but just a, a different dial. Um, but doing things slowly like that as a small company, one person, uh, adding a new color means manufacturing twice as many dials at once. And it's not cheap to make things in the U S you know, and then to stock them. And then, uh, you know, I could make five black dials and the next five orders that come in are white dials. Ooh. So then you also kind of have to have more case parts and more movement parts. And so you have to increase your inventory of everything right so that you can support the fact that your customers could choose different things you know and have them in stock because yeah. there's nothing more annoying than finding what you want and then seeing that it's not in stock yeah um what a beautiful selection of watches you have here is this this is you how many different watches do you make right now um wow i don't even remember how many we make right now it's more than five. uh it is there is a green dial of this one okay which I mean, you can see I love green. <laughs> so there's a dark green uh, version of this one here. And then there's also black, white, and latte of this one. Beautiful. All right. So uh, we we uh, I, I do need to talk about this last watch over here. It's not a Weiss. It was interesting to me that we sort of came up with this discussion on the golf course because I was telling you that I don't particularly like this uh, uh, I like the brand kind of, but I don't really like the, um, the model because, yeah. because of its prevalence in golf. It's the, uh, Rolex Submariner here. 
most of the time I'm not seeing it in the James Bond era of the 60s with the NATO strap. I'm seeing it brand spanking new, uh, you know, oyster bracelet. You then doubled down and told me that not only is this a different era, you went in and not only fixed it, but built some parts for it yourself. Yeah, it it needed a lot of work. That's that's insane to yeah. me. Would that affect a resale value of a watch if you went in and just kind of made it yourself? Um, depends. You know, it, it if you're somebody of note, then yeah, there's actually it would help. Yeah, so it would make a, it more valuable. It would make it more valuable potentially. Whoa, are you one of these guys? I don't think I'm there yet. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're close. You're just really humble. <laughs> So there's there's actually a very famous watchmaker, two other watchmakers basically. He's like, you know, what do you mean two other? We we would get uh, we would get butterflies in our stomach if if we saw this guy. I see. Um, and he's passed away now, but he was uh, living not too many years ago. Um, George Daniels, and he came up with this thing called a coaxial escapement, and it's uh, it was a totally new coaxial or coaxial design of the escapement that you see in all of my watches uh and coaxial meaning multi-layers and it was all these things that were very advanced in engineering and manufacturing and he actually took rolex he took a rolex watch and he altered the movement and put his own escapement into it and then he brought it to rolex and he said would you like to buy my escapement to put into your watches and rolex said no nah, we're not interested this is what year? Um, wow, I don't know what year. Probably years and years ago. Probably the seventies. Okay, but I I don't know for sure. That, but it's yeah. approximate. Yeah. Um, so he brings that watch to Rolex. He takes a, a paddock and he puts the escapement in a paddock. He does the same thing with an Omega. He does it with a bunch of brands. He puts Sorry, this escapement one, in there. One sec. It's definitely pronounced paddock, huh? Um, in Swiss. Oh, I don't know. There are people uh, that say Patek or paddock. I. I just have always said paddock. Oh, okay, um, but in Switzerland, what do they call it? They must have a they must have a totally different pronunciation. I think Patek. I think they say Patek over there. Hey, you know what? I like that you call it paddock, and I might switch it up. Yeah, I like it. And really, hey, we're in America. We're not in Los Angeles. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're in Los Angeles, baby. Exactly. Somebody, we have Hermosa Beach over here, and one of my friends in college used to say Hermosa Beach. No. And I never knew what she was talking about. No. I didn't know where she was going. No I don't know Hermosa Beach. No one's going know. to Hermosa Beach. Yeah. So even if it's correct, you don't always understand it. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, Paddock. And they say no as well? Uh, yeah. Basically, everyone was, was not on board with it. Um, Omega, eventually, he wore them down, and they purchased his escapement. The coaxial escapement. The coaxial escapement. And now if you go into an Omega boutique, you'll see... Almost all of their watches have a coaxial escapement, and it says coaxial on the bottom of the dial. Wow. Yeah. But amazing watchmaker. He literally wrote the book on watchmaking. There's a book called Watchmaking by George Daniels. Um, and I saw you were in Isle of Man recently, right? Yeah. Okay. So his workshop is in Isle of Man. No way. He, uh, he had one apprentice. His name is Roger Smith, and he still works on Isle of Man. Oh, uh, wasn't was he involved with Richard Meal? I don't. Oh no, think Roger so. Smith. I, I remember Roger, hearing that name while we were there. Yeah. So Roger Smith is he's like the only watchmaker that is doing anything like this. Uh, I, th- I think he makes like ten watches a year, but he makes everything. When and you they're a million dollars each or something. Like mainspring, he's making mainsprings. He's yeah. 
Yes, I remember this story. We were hearing this while we were there. And yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so for people who are fascinated by what you're doing and they want to get involved, how important is it for you to uh, have someone try on a watch before, you know, purchasing? Uh, I mean, and is that possible? I mean, I know that you have, obviously you do wonderful customer service within the shop and online. Do, is there a place for people to try it on? There are. We have some retailers. You can find them on our website, weisswatchcompany.com. Oh, you have a little, like literally go here. Yeah. What cities? Um, ooh, let's see. Well, I mean, we have plenty through California. We have in Oregon and Portland. Um, we have Texas in, let's see, Houston, Dallas, and Austin. Where else? I think New York, Boston. There's okay. a bunch. We're, we have a good number of retailers in the U.S., couple in Canada, Japan, um, and Germany, I think. Yeah. So that's a great way. Because honestly, what's great for me is I've obviously seen these watches a bunch um, in photos and some videos. But my first time seeing them in person. And it's interesting how, um, you know, they they take on a different meaning, especially with the limited edition, the weight. Yeah. Right? That's very interesting to me. Um, uh, there is a waiting list for most of these watches if they're going to get them uh through you uh as i understand yeah but uh it's it's a it, it's a really great story man and i'm really excited to uh have been here with you and and seen kind of well first of all we haven't even seen how they get made that's right? that's next <laughs> now we're about to dig in again if you're listening if you're still listening that's amazing number two get ready and you got to go on youtube to see the inside of the watch which is what we're going to do right now yeah is there any questions for me for you, what uh, I mean, what watches interest you out there in the marketplace right now? Is there some? Is there a watch where you're like, "Wow, I'd really like to have that watch or see that watch"? Well, for me, a GMT is uh, was was very attractive, right? Originally, and it's because I can immediately tell what time it is for my best friend who's in Australia right now, and I can get a baseline of. England. I always know what time it is in England, and that was really nice for me. And that's and you know, it's a, originally a pilot's watch, which spoke to me a lot as a traveler. And easily clicking the hour hand without needing to adjust the minute hand was very nice. Um, so that was uh, my first kind of decision, right? As far as what real you know um, investment am I going to make in watches? Yeah. And I was saying as I walked into the uh, studio here. The um, the thirty eight mil with the um, how do you I mean you the sub second hand how, do you, what what do you quickly say we just say at the, six at six yeah sub yeah. seconds at six as opposed to at nine yeah struck me because a month or two ago I was in a reseller um, Arthur uh, it was it was in Manhattan fifty seventh I'm blanking on the name but it's a well known and they had a, a paddock. A, uh, a Calatrava officier that I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm not really, would you consider this watch a dress watch? Um, no, I would consider any of our watches a dress watch in particular. But I would say watches? that they're more of an all around watch okay. where this one is a thinner watch. Yes. That like, if you're the kind of guy that wears, you know, a dress shirt or even just a suit all the time, you're probably going to like something that's thinner because it's not going to get caught on your cuff all the time. 
but this one with a leather strap is like the perfect watch if you're you know dressing up a little bit never thought of the functional implications of uh that never yeah thought of that. i mean a lot of the a lot of the automatic watches out nowadays they're so thick it's such a, a thick watch and it's like it's easy if you're jeans and a t-shirt to wear those watches all the time right but if you're putting on a dress shirt it can get annoying pretty quick yeah it kind of gets caught in the cuff yeah but anyway this this tell me the name of this one again uh that's the 38 millimeter standard issue 38 millimeter standard issue uh looks very similar to that paddock um and that struck me immediately and also the blue dial is something you don't i don't see that often um especially in newer watches i feel like uh maybe i'm totally wrong yeah they've all kind of standardized and put the second hand in the center yeah yeah so so this one immediately i was like oh wow this this is you know like i said i mean that paddock i was like oh, okay in a couple of years because it's not cheap yeah but you know but then at the same time i was kind of thinking about that and i was like man that's a lot for something on your wrist that ultimately is not new and it is fragile. And what, what do I, I mean, I would, what's really important to me is kind of where I started going with it. And I sort of started moving away from the idea of buying a watch that's that extravagant at some point in my life, even if I was totally able to, um, you know, afford it. Some of the people that I respect the most are people that are totally able to buy whatever the, whatever on earth they could possibly desire. And just merely stick with the things that make sense. And yeah. their sensibility there is, you know, I kind of like. So anyway. Yeah. I like, I prefer simple. Yeah. Like, well, like you can see it in the in the watches I collect, the cars I have. This is a simple car to work on. <laughs> yeah. Um, great plates, too. From 1956. Yeah. That, that's so, incredible. In California... You're allowed to uh, you're allowed to get old plates, right? And put them on vintage cars. Oh, I didn't know that. But they have to be period correct plates. Okay. So this is a, um, a 1959 Beetle. Jeez. So the plates that would have been issued originally are the 56 stamp. They made these yellow plates starting in 1956. They made them through like 1963, I think. Okay. So you can kind of gauge a car's era by those yellow plates. I like the yellow plates more than I like the black plates because the black plates have been reissued. Ah, uh, yes, you can get them on your Tesla now. Yeah. Yes. So, but I have a truck at home that has yellow plates as well. I just I like the yellow plates. Very particular. So, yeah. People are like, I haven't seen yellow plates before. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I, I'm excited to see what's inside this watch. So, thank you for your time. Um, thank you everybody for listening and please check out Cameron's work, um, Cameron and Whitney's work. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the information is below. And, uh, if you're near one of his, uh, retailers, resellers, not reseller, retailer, retailers, yeah. retailer. Yeah. I don't know the word. Resellers. Well, it's all Whatever. the same. Whatever people, <laughs> if you're near a building that has his watch and it stop by. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you.